Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve, the servant king. So help us to take the opportunities during this Advent time to speak of his name, telling people of that most awesome gift, his saving grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to turn to God's word. I think Ian is reading and probably going to do the notices, I think. You want to? I can give you a notice. Thank you. Yeah, tell me what's on the notice sheet. Good evening. Welcome. Not many of us. Um, there's going to be a lot more people next week, I hope. Four o'clock, Chris Dingle. So there's no six o'clock next week. Uh, it's Chris Dingle next week. But then there's the Carol Serves Candlelit Carols, that is, a week after at six o'clock. So that's next week. There's home groups this week. Carols at Christchurch. Prayer walk on Saturday, um, as well as 11 o'clock. Churches together singing carols in town centre. But the main thing next week is Friday evening, six o'clock, and Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, the, uh, the puppet pantomime Aladdin Spectacular. Thomas is uh, performing. Uh, I look forward to that. Among, he's not, it's not just Thomas. There's a magic carpet, a real magic carpet. There's a genie uh, coming up. Sorry? Does the carpet fly? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. I mean, you know, I think, was it, was it, is it a recent thing, Aladdin? Because there was the old Aladdin, and there's a relatively, yeah. How many, how long ago was that? Yeah. A year ago? Yeah, exactly. So that, that, that's rubbish. Come and watch this. It's a lot cheaper as well, at 250 a head, and you get a hot dog for free. So uh, all these people who are not here, they, they you know, tell them uh, how good it will be. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, yeah that's, we found the receipts for last year's event, so we need to pay the people who... Yeah, anyway, that's, a, that's what Chris has been finding. Um, and um, there's, so there's that. Uh, there's also, I mean, Elaine said, what is the best gift you've ever received? There, there is a course called Life Explored, which is exactly on that. What is the greatest gift in the universe? And you know what the answer is and who the answer is, but uh, that, that's happening in January. I'm going to read Genesis 21. Walter said he was going to read this, but he, then he called me and said... If it's too windy, I might not be there. It's too windy, so I'm going to read it. Uh, Genesis 21, page 21. And uh, we, uh, we pick up the story of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, they've been promised a child. We pick it up in verse, uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Let's read it. Verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that she, uh, that the, sorry, that the son whom Hera, uh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, Hagar the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. 
Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness that I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, I think Gillian's going to... Gillian, let me... Shall I pray for you? Is that okay? Father God, we thank you for these words, old words in Genesis, written for your people. And uh, help us, help Gillian, help us to listen to what you say to us, that we might know your love, your care, and your character through this, this chapter. Amen. Mate, look a lot, but... I need a bigger print so I can see even when I've got glasses on. Right. Mm. Well, I've done a few bits of Genesis. So, I just thought it all starts with Adam. He disappeared God, bringing sin and death into the world. But God promised a redeemer. Abraham's story reveals a little of how that promise comes to pass. And we've heard that over so many weeks. But I'll recap, because your memory may be something like mine. It just needs to be reminded. 
because age and time scale actually helps us understand a little bit about what's going on. At the age of 75, Abraham left Haran to go to a strange land, which was Canaan, where he was promised a son, even though his wife, Sarah, was barren. He waited 10 years, now remember he was 75, 10 years he waited before growing tired of waiting for God. And both Sarah and Abraham came up with their own plan. Because you see, it was custom in those days for a husband to produce children through his wife's servants. And Hagar produced a son, Ishmael. But God's plan and promise didn't change. Sarah was to be the one to bear the child. He endures another long period of 14 years until he is 100 years old. And finally, the moment comes. That's where we are. All that time. Verse 1. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. God's promise was right on God's time. Abraham couldn't rush it, even though he tried, and God wouldn't delay it. There was a reason for those long years of waiting. The son of the promise had to be born under supernatural circumstances. It was no miracle that Hagar got pregnant. That was of the flesh. But for a 90-year-old woman to have a child is something only God could do, and that's spirit. God miraculously made them capable of having children, and Sarah's even able to nurse him. This would have been biologically impossible. But God wanted them as good as dead in terms of having children so he could reveal his power. Now immediately, Abraham follows the Lord's instructions to a T. He's finally learned his lesson. Once the boy is weaned, he names the boy Isaac and has him circumcised on the eighth day, as God has commanded him. Verse 6, Sarah says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Can you remember, back in chapter 17, God states they will have a child, and he will be called Isaac. It means he laughs. Both Abraham and Sarah laughed when they heard the promise. Abraham in amazement, but Sarah in disbelief. However, now she laughs with joy. The birth of Isaac teaches us to rejoice in God's faithfulness in fulfilling his promises by miraculously calling Isaac into existence. God's plan unfolds. I'll ask you a question. Were Abraham and Sarah perfectly faithful 
while waiting these 25 years since the original promise? No. I'm sure none of us would have been able to stand that length of time without taking it into our own hands. But we do see how waiting strengthens us, gives us time to grow, and allows our character to form. So we reflect the fruits of the Spirit to be Christ-like. Hebrews 6.12 says, Through faith and patience we inherit the promises. We can see God's promise. They're not depending on our faith, but when the time is right, on his agenda, God's agenda, he fulfills them regardless of the situation. So this fantastic celebration that Isaac's arrived after all of this time, we've got to remember this is part of the promise of a redeemer who will remove the original sin. If we think about that, what similarities between Isaac and Jesus' birth can we see? Well, Jesus' birth was the result of divine activity. It happened exactly as God promised, happened in God's timing. The birth was miraculous, was named by God, and he brought so much joy. And they both made the covenant of circumcision. So Isaac is a key part to the promise of the future redeemer. But then we shift gear a little. Hagar and Ishmael. Our story with Abraham, Sarah and Hagar may not have been what we think. As a typical step family, but dynamics are similar. Abraham has a baby with another wife. He loves the boy from Hagar. But despite her best efforts, Sarah can't get herself to love Ishmael. The two women at best tolerate each other for several years. Then Isaac is born, and it's like bringing a new stepbrother. Then Ishmael, who's now 16-year-old, he's a teenager, is clearly going to have a hard time loving his sibling. After all, everyone's making a fuss over this new child when he had been the center of attention for so long. Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the, the sort, saw, I've lost that, saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had bought to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. It doesn't tell us how or why Ishmael mocks, but in Galatians 4.29, Paul calls it persecution. 
The persecution faced by the early church was the same as what Isaac faced from Ishmael. It's not just a little brotherly teasing. Ishmael despised Isaac and was too, sorry, and this was too promised in God's word. Because if you look in Genesis 16, 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. As Abraham's seed, his DNA, Ishmael, should get some of the inheritance. Sarah won't stand for it. Instead, she commands Abraham to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. In Galatians 4, Paul explicitly says that Hagar and Ishmael are analogy of those who are born of the flesh. And Sarah and Isaac are an allegory of those who are of the promise. It's easy to forget that Abraham sees Ishmael as his first son born. And he loves him. In chapter 17, he asks God to let Ishmael be the son of the promise. Yet, God tells Abraham to do what Sarah says. Why? Because he was the one who said, yes, dear, to Sarah's disobedience. And this was the result. God is basically saying, hey, matey, you didn't take responsibility before and got yourself into this mess. Why should I let you make the decisions this time? Here's your consequences. You will not see your firstborn son again. We are forgiven, but that does not negate the consequences of our sin. The fact is, Isaac is the son of the promise. Ishmael isn't part of the plan, and he can't be. So he has to be put out. In the story, we're told, Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael out with some food and water, and they wandered around the desert. When the water runs out, Ishmael gets too weak to carry on. So his mother puts him under a bush and goes off a little ways. So she doesn't have to watch him die. Verse 17, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar. What is the matter, Hagar? He isn't asking because he doesn't know, but because of what he says next. Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy. For Abraham's sake, God provides for Hagar and Ishmael. God has determined that Ishmael will be made into a great nation and because God always accomplishes his purposes, he delivers Ishmael from death. But to this day, Ishmael, the Arab nations, the children of the flesh, and Isaac, Israel, the children of the promise, can't seem to get along. 
A few thoughts on this part. Waiting on God is often difficult, but he always proves to be faithful. Sarah and Abraham didn't wait because they thought they knew that helped God along, and it created this. So it's often difficult to wait. We all get impatient. Have there been times in our lives when God answered prayer? But in his time, not ours. Obedience often means making difficult choices. God commanded Abraham to send his son away. And later, he asked to sacrifice his one son he had left. Luke 14, 26 says, Jesus tells us that we must hate everything else, even our own lives, if we are going to follow him. And thirdly, everything God does is for his glory. Whether through his love and mercy, or through his strength and might, or through his justice and holiness, it's all been planned to glorify him. God is in control, and we should never doubt that. Do you know what that means for us? That in John 3.30, he, Jesus, must increase, and I, we, must decrease. When we develop faith, we follow God's true, overarching will, which is to love and make disciples. We are part of the plan. Now, the last one, I wondered about how to tackle this the Treaty of Beersheba, it says. The other two followed Abraham's life story and what he's involved with. But where does it fit? What does it mean? I think it's relationship repair. To understand, we need to remember what happened in chapter 20. Abraham had given Abimelech, the Philistine king, good reason not to trust him. Abraham told a bodacious lie. That's a whopping big one. He spread it around that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. He was afraid that if they knew Sarah was his wife, they would kill him in order to take her. When King Abimelech heard that Sarah was not married, he decided to take her for his wife. Very poor move on Abraham's part. Lying, and therefore allowing another man to think his own wife was available. God had mercy on Abraham's sin and revealed the truth to Abimelech in a dream. Sarah was returned untouched and restitution made. Through this incident, Abimelech learned that God was with Abraham. We pick up at verse 22. 
when Abimelech said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Abimelech is apparently a God-fearing man, and God strategically placed him in Abraham's path as a friend in order to teach both these men and consequently to teach us about relationships. Relationships are repaired through kindness. Verse 23, Abimelech asks Abraham, now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness that I have shown you. If you experience a rift in a marriage or in a friendship, in church, at work, or a neighbor, kindness is one of the greatest tools available for restoring our relationships to these prior states. The natural reaction when we are hurt is often to be unkind. Ephesians 4, 31 tells us, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgive you. So we've got kindness. Repair comes through honest and open communications. After the promise of mutual kindness is made between Abraham and Abimelech, verse 25, Abraham brings up a situation. He complains to Abimelech about one of his servants who has seized a well of water. Ever had a situation arise where someone hurts you in some way? They crossed the boundary of acceptable behavior into the territory of bad behavior. In Abraham's case, the situation was that someone in Abimelech's employee, employ had forcibly taken a well that belonged to Abraham. In those days, it was a well-established rule that if you went to the extensive time and trouble to dig a well, you had dibs on the water. Abraham's water rights had been violated. But here's the important key. This was the first that Abimelech heard about it. Verse 26, he said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. I've had someone mad at you, and you had no idea why. Granted, there are situations that don't need to be discussed, especially a lot of petty things that we need to just forget about. But this wasn't a small thing and Abraham should have brought it up before. I think it's good to remember rule of thumb. 
about being open and honest in a situation is this. If you're angry, sad, hurt, bothered about a situation, then it needs to openly and honestly be discussed. When communication breaks down, relationships stagnate. Relationships won't be repaired through silence. We have to find a way to overcome our insecurities, our fears, and talk to one another about our problems. Abraham and Abimelech couldn't have a healthy relationship until open and honest communication existed. Establishing the boundaries. Verse 27. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven new lambs from the flock and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven new lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. This is a great picture of two influential men making a promise to each other about what belonged to whom and where the boundaries were in their relationship. Once we have decided to repair a relationship with kindness and after we establish open and honest communication, establish the boundaries in a relationship. Two attitudes that Abraham displayed that we need to display when seeking boundaries. First, be willing to give as well as take. Everyone can't have their own way all the time. Abraham gave Abimelech some sheep and cattle. He negotiated. Secondly, be willing to do right when you've been done wrong. After Abraham gave the king an unspecified number of sheep and cattle, then he added another seven lambs as a gesture of his willingness to forgive Abimelech's servant for stealing his well. It was a way of going on record that this well belonged to Abraham. I think that was a shrewd move. He didn't make Abimelech respect his boundaries. He encouraged him to respect his boundaries, voluntary. Mutual respect, it's part of the bedrock of good relationships. What do we see? A God blessing Abraham in spite of his weaknesses. There has been a lot to process in this part of Abraham's story. And I, I, it's hard, I find it hard or difficult to stream in 
other than we know that this is God's plan, it's his promise, and it is unfolded in his time. We are to be obedient, we are to be patient, and we are to be faithful. We become part of all this, part of the heirs of the promise of God, when we accept Jesus into our life and live as Christ. That's really exciting. Because when we read scripture, it is not boring one little bit. There's always something happening, changing, moving. God's plan unfolds when he is central in our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a light to our feet as we journey in faith through the grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the story of Abraham, of Isaac, and we pray that you are already working in our hearts and minds so that we know that we are on our journey to draw closer to you. To God be the glory. Amen.